start to develop a relationship and, and connect with a player. Anytime a new player comes in for an assessment, I try to make sure I'm there. Learn their, you know, their personality, their triggers, uh, how their body works. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. On this episode, I interview Joe DeMarco, President and CEO at Elite Baseball in California. Joe's extensive background includes coaching at the University of Kansas and spending two seasons in the San Diego Padres organization as a member of the Peoria Padres and the Idaho Falls Braves. Joe is also currently a hitting consultant to numerous MLB and MILB players. And so on the show, we discuss how he trains batters for timing, focusing on finding the win and what good sequencing is and how we measure it. This episode is so good. And here is Joe DeMarco. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to to be here and you know break down some hitting and break down some baseball stuff. No doubt, no doubt. And you know, I, I came across your stuff on social media a couple of years ago and and started following you and and it's really been been awesome to see your progression through the game and some different things that you guys are posting and you guys are doing. And then went to the ball yard and hung out with Craig Hyatt and and Doug Latta a couple of weeks ago and. They kept just gushing about how good of a one person you are, but how good of a hitting coach you are. And after never having a conversation with you, I reached out and I said, I've got to get this guy on the show. So after having a couple of conversations with you, I know that you're going to be an awesome fit and I can't wait to see what you're going to share today. But for our listeners who would like to get to know you a little bit better, just give us a little bit of background of how you got into baseball and you know what you're doing right now. Yeah, um, you know, I grew up in in South Florida, outside of Fort Lauderdale. Out of high school, I went to the University of Kansas as a middle infielder. Uh, oh, okay. You know, played four. Yeah, played four years there. You know, was a pretty good college player. I uh, got an opportunity to play professional baseball for a short time as a 28th round senior sign by the San Diego Padres. Um, I did parts of a couple seasons, and then uh, my my, maybe my lack of skill caught up to me at that point. Um, and I kind of was, you know, I, I got away from the game for one year, uh, but I really missed it. I, I loved, you know, I loved the field. It was something that I, uh, it was my passion and it was, I, I was good at it. You know, I, I loved, I loved going to, and doing work every day. So I reached out back to the university of Kansas and um, their volunteer position, uh, the third assistant was open and they, they offered me the job and I went back and, um, I coached at the University of Kansas for two years. So rock chalk Jayhawk for any Jayhawks out there. Um, and then through the process of, uh, I know you're Oklahoma, you know, hey, rock chalk, baby. Um, uh, through the process of, you know, trying to network and, and kind of branch out, I always kind of thought about where would I like to live and, you know, ideally coach, especially, you know, at the high level college. And, and Southern California was always 
What's that? And I was like, and you didn't think of Kansas. That wasn't your first first one right there. <laughs> it was not. No, I mean, hey, look, we we were my first year. We went to a regional when I was there. The year before I got there, we went to Omaha, but we weren't a very good team. I mean, I think it's a it's more of a basketball school, as we all know. Coach Price has had some good years there, uh, but it, there's some challenges, you know, in that Big Twelve. I mean, there's some pretty good baseball there, you know, in that conference. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I I didn't. As much as I love, I love uh, you know Ku and Lauren. I wanted to get out to California, uh, so I, I reached out to a couple coaches of mine that I had in the summer. Uh, one of them being Jason Gill. Jason Gill, currently the head coach at USC. Uh, the other is Pat Shine, who was a coach at UCLA for many years, who's in professional baseball, um, and they had just gotten the job at UC Irvine with Coach Savage, and I was you know kind of trying to essentially see if I had any chance to move, move out here and, and be the third assistant. Uh, it was a new program. Uh, baseball was dormant at UCI for 10 years uh, and they brought it back. So they had a full year of recruiting in, in 01, you know, 2000 to 2001. And um, I met coach Savage actually in Nashville and at, at one of the coaches conventions and kind of started the process of getting to know him and did, you know, extended kind of interviews on the phone and, they offered me the position, um, and I moved out here in '01 um, and was on the original staff, bringing back baseball at UC Irvine. So, did that for three years, and then um, uh, and on the side, I was doing uh, instruction. You know, as, the, as a third assistant, you you don't get paid. You know, you have camps. That that's really it, and and that's kind of a big topic amongst the college baseball community now. And obviously, I'd love to see that change, and they get the third assistant, have a paid coach, and. Uh, be great for the game. So I was just doing a lot of instruction and doing a lot of lessons on the side. And it, it, it kind of morphed and turned itself into what I'm currently doing today, uh, doing a lot of hitting specific instruction with, you know, players from, you know, I don't work with a lot of eight-year-olds, but we have eight-year-olds that come through all the way up through advanced major league hitters. Uh, so that's kind of the quick version of kind of how I got into where I'm at currently uh, being a you know hitting consultant and a, a hitting coach. I love that, and I love that you went from Florida to Kansas. Decided you wanted to get back out, get out to California, you know, and and so that's that's really neat. And uh, again, it's it's not an easy road. And being the third assistant, I can only imagine some of the things that you have to do to get by and some of the hours that you have to work. But let's go ahead and talk with uh, what you're doing currently and. So you you guys have a new hitter that walks into the door. Let's or just say that, that I walk through okay. the door and I'm an 18 year old kid and I'm an amateur kid. Okay. Uh, I walk mm-hmm. into the door and so what what does day mm-hmm. one look like for us? Yeah, so so day one, um, you know, for me, I really like to start to develop a relationship and, and connect with a player. Anytime a new player comes in for an assessment, I try to make sure I'm there, uh, especially if they're a little older. You know, if they're in that. Uh, going into high school or, you know, maybe junior, senior and looking to kind of revamp some things. So we do a lot of assessment stuff and just trying to learn their, you know, their personality, their triggers, uh, how their body works. You know, each guy has, you know, different, different, you know, body types and and mechanisms and, and they can, they do different things. And I try to really be cautious before, you know, any, any kind of correction or coaching, just kind of let them, let them hit you know, get them comfortable. And, and I, I tell them all this, it, you know, this is like actually something I got from Jerry Weinstein over the years. Um, 
you know, when we go about it, we do it like a buffet. You know, everybody, there's a buffet, there's a lot of food on the, on the buffet, a lot of options. So, you know, you can come in, keep your, keep your mind open to try a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And if something you're not into on, on that buffet table, you know, you throw it away and you go to the next thing, you try it again. Uh, you know, it's something you like. It's like, okay, hey, I go back to that. I start gravitating towards, you know, trying that out. So uh, allowing kind of our drills and our principles to set in a little, get them to start to understand, uh, you know, the verbiage. Um, one of the things I've really tried to do, especially with a guy kind of this, you know, that 16, 18 year old that comes in, it's kind of already, you know, they've already hit a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be able to just change them you know, if you spend a lot of time trying to correct a lot of fundamental things, uh, instead of just kind of looking at them going, okay, what do they do well? And then let's try to maximize that. Let's get them into a good position to hit and just really focus on their rhythm and timing, uh, and the pace and understanding, you know, when things are happening in their body as opposed to what, and I've, I've learned, learned that through trial and error over the years. You spend a lot of time on the what with a kid who's already, has habits developed, it's hard to, you know, change them, uh, especially in a scenario like this where, you know, they come in once a week. You know, if, if I'm at high school and I have them every day, it's a little different, but, you know, you have them once a week and then you try to kind of lay out some things for them um, to take with them after, you know, day one. But really the first thing is developing a, you know, a trust and, and starting a relationship with the player, um, getting them comfortable uh, just to, Hey, let's just, just go hit. And, and especially if we go through a progression of T kind of into some toss and, and some dynamic stuff, I, I rarely, rarely, rarely will correct anybody on the T. Uh, you just let them hit on the T, especially because there's no timing as far as, you know, the ball flight's concerned sure. and then wait until we kind of get into that next drill phase of seeing where they're at. So, um, you know, that's, that would be kind of how we, we approach it for the most part, uh, with, you know, myself and, you know, any of the staff that we have um, helping with, with high school age hitters. Well, perfect. And so with the progression of, of different things that you guys are doing, you, you caught my attention with the, when things are supposed to start versus the what, and do you mind just going into that a, a little bit further? Because I, I really truly believe that a lot of our amateur hitters have zero concept of when they're on time and off time. And so I think yeah. that I will probably do more training of that this year than I've done in my, you know, eight or I, this is actually year nine, nine year career, which is crazy. I'm getting old. Uh, there's not a ton of, of stuff that's out there that besides representative design and making things game like as far as timing stuff. So do you mind mm-hmm. going into how you're doing that, what you guys are doing to train that and just let's, let's just roll from there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when, when I talk timing, you know, I, I break it down. There's, there's really two pieces of it. There's the ball flight timing, right? Meaning the, the point of contact, understanding where, where do I need to hit that ball based on, you know, pitch location, you know, velocity, all, all the factors, which is the challenge. You know, that's the challenge. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to maximize that margin of timing. So that barrels in the hitting area for as long as you can. So you can arrive on time at the point of impact with, you know, with massive impact and, all that stuff. But really, I think the root of it where we spend a lot of time uh, with hitters at, of all, at all levels is helping them understanding their sequencing, meaning sequential timing, how, how their body is operating, operating kind of 
where they can collect the energy, they, they connect all the pieces, and then they can spend that energy, you know, flowing, transitioning the rhythm really in sequence. Mm-hmm. So if, if the sequencing is right, you know, and for, for sequencing, just kind of the general overview, uh, I would try to kind of talk about it from the ground up, understanding that, right. you know, when you can work from the ground where you get into that foundation and then let the energy work up through your core and building to acceleration and letting the barrel just release where you have, you know, acceleration into and through the hitting area with the bat head. Um, you know, that's where we focus. So, you know, there's, there's challenges, uh, in, you know, a cage setting, um, to, to really simulate major league timing. Um, you know, obviously we do a lot of things that are decision driven Mm -hmm. and to kind of focus on their timing there, but a lot of the stuff with sequencing and, and just ball flight, we kind of get them to understand at least our focus is how their body is operating and, and each guy's rhythm and pace. And if your rhythm and your pace is right and you're not in a rush and you let things develop um, as a hitter, your timing sequentially is probably going to follow suit. And then if the timing is, is working, meaning, Hey, I, I have some rhythm and pace and I'm gathering and I'm getting ready to go. And then the decision, and ultimately I believe that the only decision you make is to stop your swing. So if you get a hitter to be in swing mode, but understanding that, Hey, I need to, you know, have a, a disciplined approach, be able to box pitches up, stay with the plan, and then just focus on their sequencing. Mm-hmm. You're going to try to, you're going to give them maximum margin in the hitting area for ball flight. So, you know, the sequencing part. So we'll, we'll do drills um, that are rhythm based drills. For example, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go through, um, one of one of the hitters we have uh, at a high level, um, his name is Matt Chapman, and he plays for the Oakland A's. And anytime Chappie is at a at a sink, when we communicate, it's hey, let's get you into a position because he he's very rhythmic with his hands, and he almost stalks the ball with his hands. So his hands are kind of his his rhythm finder. And you watch him hit; he's kind of in a kind of an athletic position with his chest kind of out over and, and he's, he's really, he was, he's, he's tall, but he looks like he's covering out away, mm-hmm. but his hands are, are his, are his, his timer. And when he gets out a little out of sync, his lower half tends to kind of go forward and his hands get going too fast. So when we talk, it's like, Hey, let's get your hands synced back up. And one of the drills he do, does is a, a basic step back drill where he gets into a position he narrows up, gets to his regular base, narrows up about two or three inches, and then just kind of lets his hands dictate and then takes a little baby step back with his back foot to kind of feel that, that little shift into his backside mm-hmm. before he unweights his front side to attack back. So he can still stay a little more stacked up before he goes. So each guy has like different drills to, to focus on sequencing and their rhythm. You know, we, you know, obviously there's a lot of them and if we're, you know, if we're in the cage and, you know, that, you know, show you all, all of them, it'd be great. But mm-hmm. I think the, um, you know, the understanding of each guy's individual sequencing and that when is more important than what is kind of a general overview for, for timing for us that we'll try to, you know, address individually with each player. But 
you know, knowing that the timing is, it, it's always there, you know, it's always part of the equation. And, you know, and I think with a lot of players, they don't understand. And you mentioned it earlier is, is when to start, you know, they, they get, they get started late. Right. And when you start late, everything speeds up and your sequencing speeds up. And then, you know, it's an early turn of the shoulders and then you lose your barrel. The decision is already made and you're in trouble, right. you know? So if, if that pace is right, if, if you understand that, Hey, no matter what I feel, if I feel early or late, I just stay with my swing. You know, I stay with my swing. I say this to hitters all the time is a little bit early, a little bit late in the middle of the field with, with a little bit of air, you know, because if you're a little early, a little late in the middle with a little air, not high air, but just a little bit, those balls tend to find grass versus a little early, a little late, pull side ground ball for a right-handed hitter and that, and that slicing ball that stays up in the air where, you know, it's too high in the right center into right, you know, you're out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, you know, if you maintain your body position and you understand, you know, just your sequencing, then, you know, the timing, which we're all focused on more than anything is the ball flight timing, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about ball flight because that'll happen. That'll be, you'll have a better margin because it's hard. I mean, that's, the, that's, that's the challenge, right? So we'll spend a lot more time with each player's, you know, sequential timing and helping them do drills to things that um, will get them more in rhythm, finding their pace. And, and pace is unique because some guys are, you know, hey, some guys want to go. Some guys are really controlled and deliberate in their gather of the energy. Um, and you got to kind of help them find their starting points and let their let their natural rhythm and pace work. But that's one of the things we'll try to do is get them to understand starting point. When do you start? And that's the only thing the pitcher dictates is when. Um, so a lot of mental reps on deck, uh, even before that, you know, two or three batters before you come up and locked into, you know, just kind of the when. You see a lot of video of that, you know, I obviously Twitter, I know you mentioned uh, Craig Hyatt. Craig is the best the best in the business uh, posting content that is unbelievable to help. I mean, I use his stuff every day with hitters Um, and you know, a lot of video. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And um, a lot of guys, you see a lot of, you know, they show major league videos of guys working on deck, working hard to find the when. And um, you know, if you, if you focus on finding when you can be, you can have some flaws with the what, and especially specific to, you know, a lot of the players that we work with, where we see them, you know, we get them that they're already kind of, they're already what they are. And we're going to try to make some changes, obviously, but the changes tend to be more timing driven than, you know, what's going on. Obviously, if there's a, you know, a thing that needs to be revamped, we're going to try to do that. But mm-hmm. the first thing is is timing, uh, for sure. No, I love that. And, and I love that that's, you know, the first thing that you, that you work on, because, I feel like a lot of times we can we could probably pick it, uh, pick out flaws that the player has or pick out, you know, things that we that don't necessarily agree with our bias, but if they're on time consistently mm-hmm. and they're barreling balls, does it does it matter? But one thing that I wanted to ask you about, you you keep talking about sequencing and there may be some listeners who, you know, who aren't as familiar with sequencing as we are. And so what's, what's that definition for you and how are you measuring it? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, defining it, you know, I would say, you know, just kind of 
understanding kind of when each body part is doing its thing and, and firing independently to control the, that wave of energy, meaning at some point, everybody's got to land. And most guys land into their toe first. So if I were just going to break down into kind of body part sequencing, okay. you know, allowing, you know, that when that lead foot hits, then the heel plant, then there's the stabilization of the head, which I think is really important. So if you're, you're jumping from heel plant into head stable. So at that point, you've established an access. Now, for me, with sequencing, one of the biggest things is, is making sure they understand the horizontal movement of the lower half to stay, you know, just try to stay horizontal after they hit the ground. You know, because when, when guys hit the ground and they go up and they get a little vertical move, that speeds the energy up and it bypasses some stabilization of the head. So, you know, getting back to, you know, hey, when the foot hits, the heel plants, at that point, the back knee is going to go first. You know, I've always, this is actually something we, I got from Craig Wallenbrock and, mm -hmm. and Doug Latta back when I first started, you know, going up there and being a fly on the wall up in the valley in LA. Um, they talked about two nails, right? Because they were like, you know, they, one of the things that, that a lot of these more advanced uh, hitting consultants and, uh, you know, gurus of hitting that I've, I've spent a lot of time with, they've really tried to help define things and squash ideas of not necessarily ideas, but sayings, the old sayings, the regurgitated sayings of, you know, things. So one of the sayings, you know, that we all heard growing up at some point was, you know, swish the bug and, and coaches are still saying it, you know, like you get a 10 year old coach out there with jeans on, they're saying swish the bug and Wallenbrock did not like that at all. So he was, a he, he, he created something and he called it, the two, there was like the two nails. So there's two nails and they go through your back foot. So the first one, is kind of into your back heel, like down through that. And the other one's through like the center of your foot. So after the foot and the front foot hits, the front heel lands, the back knee will start to pull the back nail out of the heel, out of the ground, kind of like a hammer would out of a wall. Okay. And then you would, you would create that, what they would call that was the, the primary movement of the knee. And you look at hitters now and, and Trout's the example and Trout's a freak and he's unbelievable. But you watch Trout, and I, and I remember Bonds back in the day too. There was a lot of times their back, their back foot didn't do much. It was just kind of back knee. And you'll you'll see video and pictures of Trout. It'll be back knee, and it's like his hips have cleared enough to create you know enough torque and tension. The back foot barely came off the ground. So that back knee pulling, pulling, driving kind of down and staying horizontal with the front knee, and then pulling that first nail out, and then that second nail kind of you drive kind of into the ground and continue with your secondary drive, keeping all the energy working back okay. into the access. So, you know, back to kind of the sequencing part of it where it's toe, heel, back knee, back hip, and then energy working through your core. And in the process, there's a simultaneous move of, you know, there's, there's three wheels kind of throughout the body that we talk about. I mean, they're, there, so you got the merry-go-round with the lower half, you know, kind of turning back into the front side after the head is established, um, stable as far as est establishing the access point. The, the shoulders are starting to turn underneath each other. So depending on how much movement someone has down to it. So, for example, like 
Cody Bellinger is, uh, you look at belly swing, you know, his lead shoulder is kind of leveled slightly above his back. So when he gathers and gets ready to go and he doesn't have any kind of shift back, he's just attacking forward. That, that lead shoulder works, you know, down and you know, kind of slightly in with him. I think Mookie Betts is similar as well into kind of that attacking angle with their shoulders. So now you got to have an angle where your lead shoulders work down and your back shoulder can kind of start to work back underneath the chin and not allow the shoulders to turn uh, east and west. Sure. They can yeah. kind of work mm-hmm. north and south underneath each other, right. establishing, you know, that access point. And then, you know, the third piece of the puzzle, as far as the wheels, and I would consider kind of the hands and hands are kind of elbow to fingertip on both sides and allowing those hands to, and each guy's a little different on this. How much do they turn and kind of ride to be able to kind of keep that, get slotted and keep your path where your barrel can stay inside your hands and run parallel with home plate and have ultimately, if we bring it back to the decision, you have the decision to stop you know, I can say no because I haven't committed my barrel right. because my sequencing is right and my body position has really, you know, it, it put myself where I can have good breaks. And and all good hitters, especially when you're talking about the highest level, uh, have good breaks. Mm-hmm. You need good breaks to hit. And, you know, I think you need good breaks at two parts. One, that first piece of hitting into the ground and stopping your head mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, you gotta, you gotta have that energy gathered and be able to, you know, to match 95, you know, when, when you're getting 90, 93 to, to a hundred coming at you, you gotta kind of have that energy collected and be able to, to, to deliver it back into the point of contact. So you have to have good breaks to stop your head. And then you have to have good breaks to make that decision to say, Nope, that's a ball. You know, so that's a, you know, that's something as far as the sequencing part of it, if you focus on that and you, you have them understand, Hey, I need to start everything going. And then I work from the ground up and let the energy kind of work and, and kind of not have, you know, so there's not a lot of effort to it. The barrel is just going to accelerate and move fast through the hitting area, you know? So it's, I don't know if that defines it to like specific, you know, I don't know if Webster would probably agree that that's the definition (laughs) of sequencing, Sure, but, but in my world, you know, that's kind of how we try to do it. You know, real life application of information, especially things that they've heard forever, you know, like, so for example, um, you know, stay short, stay through it. You know, the, 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 the sayings, right. The sayings that people every day, stay, stay short. And I ask you, anytime they come in we start to get to know them and, you know, what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. And none of them have the right answer. None of them really know. They're like, well, just, you know, short. And I'm like, yeah. well, it's, you know, let's talk about it. Let's explain why, what, what it means. And I'm like, and we always get back to, okay, it's, it's distance and time. It's efficiency. It's understanding where your barrel is so you can ultimately say no later and stop later. And, you know, when you're, when you have that, then you create, you're creating time. And as a hitter, when you're focused on sequential timing, trying to create margins of the ball, the, the ball flight contact point, you want as much time as you, you can, you can muster up uh, through the process of getting going. Mm-hmm. And if you're efficient and understand where your barrel is and you're sequencing, right, you're going to have better decision-making. And if the decision-making is good, you're probably going to be a pretty good hitter, at least 
you know, dis- discipline wise, you're on base and probably be pretty good, which really? is really important. Really, yeah. really important. And you know, I, you, you keep hitting the nail on the head and, and I, I, it's crazy how much that we're agreeing on some of the different stuff that you're doing and, and I barely know you, which I think is awesome. And so we've spent like the last three weeks of our, you know, hitting sessions in the off season of just getting to a better spot whenever your heel does come down, your front heel does come down. And, and I'll tell you what, it's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to train that, but it does clean up a, yeah. a lot of different stuff on the back end of it and stuff that I had overlooked because, you know, I, I had just overlooked it in the past. And you also mentioned that you're focusing on finding the win. And I did an experiment with our guys uh, a couple of weeks ago and just asking them when they started and why. And it was amazing mm-hmm. how many of those guys had no idea. And and I, if you're a really good hitter and you just have that innate ability to be on time consistently, then I would be like, okay, well, you just keep doing what you're doing. But guys that struggle, mm-hmm. that's something that I need to know. When are you on time? Do you know when you've when it feels like to be off time and when you're on time, do you know what it feels like to get your best swing off and when you hit and when you're seeing the ball the best, but I want to pick your brain about this because I I love that aspect of it. So you, you specifically mentioned focusing on finding the win. So tell us a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I talk about when uh, I like to break it down and as far as just easy things to connect the dots for hitters. Um, So the first win is, you know, knowing when you, when you start, when you start the gather, uh, as far as picking up your foot, you know, like when you, when you're going to unweight and start to, you know, get into that, that good body position and that, that maintaining a, a good center, good posture. So I think the, when you start, obviously is huge, but you got to have the relationship of the hand through the back, through the back head, because I think that's part of the disconnect of, because they can start super early, but then what are they doing with their hands? Sure. What are they doing with their barrel? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they'll start really early and they'll land really early and they'll be super stagnant on top. Yep. And they'll be the energy and the sequencing of, of rhythm breaks up. And if you break that up, you're going to have to restart and a restart is going to be a big, big move through the body and you're going to lose your barrel and you're going to, you're going to be playing catch up. So I try to get them to understand you know, kind of two pieces. One, the barrel toe relationship. And then the other one is the knee and the knob. So, and, and each guy's a little different on this, but depending on how big their, their movement is with, if they have, you know, if they have a big leg kick or just a real simple, you know, kind of up and down, mm-hmm. just getting them to know, okay, when my foot, let my feet go first. Okay. And then my hands can kind of work behind them so I can sync up my barrel and toe. And, and this may sound a little bit weird because it really isn't, it's kind of one of those feel things of, so the term I like to use is the barrel chases the toe. So as you're gathering and getting ready to go, when your foot hits, the barrel should still be kind of chasing. If you're talking about something, you want to get someone ready to hit earlier, mm-hmm. you know, get them into a position so they're not breaking up the rhythm. So as my foot hits the ground, my barrel's kind of just getting to its launch and, and having an angle you know, a good angle kind of inside your hands and mm-hmm. where then when the heel hits, I can start my, my sequencing through my core and then I can kind of turn and go to get them into the ground. Because that's one of the things that I hear that a lot out here in California, a lot of the high school hitters, you know, we kind of talk about what do they hear every day? And a lot of it is, you know, get your foot down. I'm like, 
Right. Very important part of the process, getting your foot down, but you got to expand on it of understanding when you get your foot up and getting your foot down is fine. It's more about getting into the ground, getting stabilization into your foundation mm-hmm. so you can have your, you know, your, your backside and your, your big muscles in a good position where you have posture and then you can go from there. So when you pick up your foot, the relationship of the back head to so the toe and the barrel, the barrel and the toe working together. And then with the knee and the knob, for example, as so, so most guys have a little bit of a, you know, there's a little bit of a move up with their foot. Like they'll, they'll have some kind of a leg lift. It's, you know, where their knee is coming kind of up a little bit, right. you know, ideally th- their head stays, stays on plane there. They're not going up with it. And that's something that I always try to key on with somebody that's off time as well. Is it when they, if, do they push up or do they pick up their foot kind of through their hip and from their knee, like picking it up that way and not going vertical with their eyes? Because movement of head up is you're in trouble. Sure. You know, anything movement wise of the head has got to stay, you got to stay horizontal or you got to go slightly down, you know, as far as attacking forward. And I watch MLB Network every day and all these guys always talk about, oh, look how still his head is. I'm like, not that still let's go fella it's it's you, their head's going forward a little bit you know what i mean and right. you you know it's like it goes forward a little bit and it goes down a little bit but that process is happening as they're getting ready to hit and then the stabilization of the head then you're in a position where it stops you, know, you got to stop the head you know that's really important so if that first movement if they're trying to sink up their knee and knob if they're pushing up and they're coming off their legs and their head's going up, they're going to be disconnected. They're going to be in trouble. So if they're focusing on kind of a knee and knob move, where that's kind of sometimes an easier thing for players to understand, because when the knee comes up, they can just kind of almost like kind of suck their hands in. They can kind of tuck. They can kind of tuck their hands in and like tip their barrel a little bit. So it's just kind of knee and knob, like boom. Okay, I got it. And then when they land, they can kind of stay in rhythm and get down there early enough where they're not late. And it's, it's so weird. And I say this to hitters all the time when they're late starting and then they're playing catch up, they wind up being early and they look at me like I'm just out of my mind. And I'm like, I will explain that back to me. Help me on help. I want you to understand how I'm thinking about this because you're early sequentially. And then what happens is you lose your barrel. So sometimes you may be, you lose your barrel and you just panic button and, and you hit a big hop ground ball in the full size, or you just get jammed so bad, you know, the, the pitcher catches it. So it, it's one of those things where if you understand sequencing and understanding kind of when things are happening in relationship to your barrel, that it, it, you, you're going to have a better feel for knowing, you know, Hey, was I early or late there? And when I ask a player if they're early or late, the first thing I want to know, are they early or late sequentially? Or did you, did you maintain, did you feel like you were in sequence or did you give up body position and speed up at some point where you had to make one of those big moves with the shoulders turning early, you know, mm-hmm. left, left to the left side for right-handers. And, you know, I'm right now I'm in the mirror with my back trying to do this <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got literally, I got this, I got this bat when I was a little kid. I used to, um, I used to go growing up in Florida. We didn't have many baseball um, opportunities. So we'd go to the Yankee spring training. And I was like, I'd go to Yankee spring training. I'd go to a ball games. And I got to know some staff and people as I got into like junior high and even my freshman year in high school. 
And during spring break and during spring training on the weekends, I was, um, I was basically a kind of a second assistant clubhouse manager. I would go in like once or twice a week and I would help with the laundry. I would do the bucket. Uh, I would shag. I would help, you know, do this stuff. So over the process, I would get, um, you know, guys would give me stuff and they would do a lot of fantasy camps there. And I have this Carl Yaskrimski bat from like 19, you know, it, it was a bat he had. He was there uh, one day to this fantasy thing. And I have his bat autographed. He was like used it in BP that day or in game that day. It's got some marks. It's kind of sweet. So it's in my hands right now. And I'm, you know, kind of going through this stuff in my of course, mirror. Of course you are. Um, I'm doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you got it, right? It's like, you know, like, hey, I gotta, I gotta go. I'm gonna break mm-hmm. it down, you know, um, yep. on stuff. So, but um, yeah, I think just, just trying to help them understand your kind of body parts and, and within our kind of how their body, you know, how their, um, you know, their swings already naturally doing things. And you mentioned something earlier, which I'm a huge believer in, is if their barrel is finding the baseball, let them do it. Like, what do you, you know, you need to change it. They already have a pretty, cause it's like, if it doesn't look right and they're still finding the barrel and they're, they're handling, you know, different speeds and they're, you know, they're doing it. Just let them go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause we, sometimes we look at it and, you know, like we said, your our, our bias of, of what we think it should look like makes us like want to change something it doesn't need to be changed because if they have a good feel for barrel awareness, and getting the barrel to the point of contact with, you know, a good position, having their mass behind the ball, you know, let them, let them go. Mm-hmm. You know, no need to, no need to make changes on a, on a guy like that right. for sure. So, well, and, yeah. and you run the risk of, you mentioned earlier, you want to have a good relationship with them. And if you, yeah. if the first thing that you're doing is telling them something that they are doing wrong, then I mm-hmm. think that, that, you know, they know their swing longer than they've known us. And that's something that they're going to hold on to. But if we, you know, if we let them continue to do things and then they come and ask us, then we've got that buy-in that we're looking for. And, and I really like that. And and something that we're, we're really going to focus on. I mean, and we all need to is the timing aspect of it and helping our players to understand it. So you, you talk with the player about it, but do you have anything that I could practically do and, and steal from you that we could do indoors this winter when we will probably be doing some live ABs. We'll be doing some <laughs> uh, some stuff in the cages with machine work. And obviously, anytime that we're doing front toss stuff, that's going to help with timing. We'll be mixing timing. But just from a timing yeah. aspect, I mean, uh, besides those that I just casually mentioned, what are some different things that you like? And is there anything, any, any advice that you could give me on that? You know, I think anytime you're, you're, you're doing a drill, whether it's a controlled, uh, you know, a front toss drill. So let me ask you this. Do you guys do seated front toss? If you're doing front toss as far as underhand or do you do you walk into it? So, uh, before I met Doug, we went to mm-hmm. completely seated overhand front toss and we do some okay. flips now just because the first couple of weeks we're actually, okay. we're working on the, the front, you know, the front, uh, the forward move. And it's a little bit easier mm-hmm. to get more reps with the flips. And uh, yeah. we, we usually say a verbal as soon as they break their hands just to make sure we're on time. Because what we see a lot of, and sorry if I'm, if I'm taking too much time away from you here, but what I see a lot of, no. and, and you, you mentioned <laughs> and you mentioned this earlier, I is, it. <laughs> is, is, is I, see two, I see two timing mechanisms that are bad a lot. And one of them is they rush 
to get their foot down. And as soon as their foot is down, like as soon as their heel comes down, their swing starts. So they're out already out yeah, of sequence yeah. because they're rushing. And then the yeah, second one totally. is they get their foot down way too early. Then they have that pause and then yeah. they're late. And the yeah. first thing that comes out yeah. from the stands from little Johnny's parents are, Hey, you're, you got to get your foot down earlier. So then they make it even worse. Yeah. And so trying to retrain totally. those two things, I mean, it's awful because we've got guys who swing when they, when they touch ground and trying yeah. to get them comfortable with that, you know, that getting sat, that sink feeling is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And then trying to retrain the, I call it the dip your toe in water pattern or where they're just barely touching their toe Check, on the ground. Checking the ice. Checking the ice to see if it's Yeah, I know. I know. Checking the ice. That's really good. Yeah. But, but I mean, trying yeah. to retrain those, but long story short, yes, we, we do a little bit of everything. Uh, I would prefer okay. overhand seated just because we'll be from yeah. not very far away. And if they stand up, the angle mm -hmm. is, is too steep, I think. Yeah. You know, and, and we do, obviously we do a lot of overhand seated. We do a lot of BP. Uh, we'll do some breaking ball machine stuff. Um, and we kind of vary that where it's like, Hey, the first couple rounds is going to be more decision driven breaking ball, where it's a good breaking ball. And the next couple rounds is getting them to just see, you get a lot of high school hitters. They, they, they've been trained growing up to not swing at breaking balls. Right. And you get to a high level, you know, guys can spin a breaking ball in their OO or one Oh and cross count. you, But it's just kind of a get it in there strike. So we'll do things as far as just setting that breaking ball up to be kind of a, an up out of the hand cement mixer. Just go, Hey, we're going here, man. We see that thing up and it is let the barrel fly. And we're trying to do damage on the pull side as far as some stuff. But it, it, so we'll do a lot of just underhand front with a walk. So we're just kind of walking into it. Okay. And when we do that, it's usually, we're not doing a lot of regular reps with underhand front. Mm -hmm. We're doing dynamic reps. We're doing through movement reps, rhythm timing reps, or things with like, we have a connection bat drill. We got connection mm -hmm. balls, oh, you know, I love the connection. short bat. Yeah. Connection ball, short bat, long. No. And I'm not, you know, we don't have like a, a, you know, big league budget here, but we have, you know, we have, we use, we use long, we have fungos. So, you know, hit with fungo, you hit with the heavy bat, you know, different things. But so as far as a few drills, I think that would help them in far, instead of, you know, kind of in a controlled toss situation to help them with their timing leading into overhand seated, which I do a ton of with the pro guys, because you can simulate, you throw a ton of strikes from that short distance and you can throw it hard where you want it. And it's going to kind of, you know, make their decision have to be right. Because ultimately the decision is, you know, needs to be be right to have success. But so we do um, kind of a linear drive, which is, you know, we just kind of narrow them up to like feet almost underneath the shoulders. And then we're just going to kind of let our hands kind of gather into our body and kind of create a little bit of an, uh, you know, move kind of uh, to, to help establish the access, but we're not going to get any kind of a movement back with our hands. Okay. We're just going to let our feet go first and then have our hands just work right behind it and create that. Like you, the term I, I, I've used is let your feet walk your hands into its launch. Okay. So you're just kind of letting your feet go forward. So you're basically giving, you're adding timing for them. Mm -hmm. So you're adding timing going forward, but they got to be aware of you know, where their hands are in relationship to a big move, just going forward with their feet. And that helps them kind of understand okay, when I start, because you're adding so much, okay, when I land, 
where are my hands and, and give them some adaptability through their timing mm-hmm. if they're a little early, a little late. And then one like of the that. other ones we do, yeah, it's, it's, we call it, I try to use, and I got to kind of re-up some of these uh, names of, of things. And we've used this drill for many years, but it used to be called, it's called the Longoria drill. Mm-hmm. Um, Longoria was a St. John Bosco hitter, uh, went to Long Beach State, you know, guys out here know who Evan Longoria is. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously he's still a big leaguer, but he's not Evan Longoria, Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays, you know, top 10 in the MVP voting anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so when he first came up, I don't know if you remember his setup, he was pretty narrow and kind of like kind of back into his, his heels a little bit and tall. And he kind of would like work down and just kind of almost like sink into his legs and attack forward. So what we do is we exaggerate the back heel kind of into the ground with the, with the, the back foot in the air and you're slightly open. So you're just kind of almost back leaning like over your heel, standing straight up and then letting the relationship of the knob and the back foot work together. Almost like, um, if you have a plug, so you got a plug in your, uh, you got the, the plug on the bottom of your knob and the outlets, your toe of your back toe. Okay. So the, the knob works into your back toe and then you can feel that move working this way. And then it's like, okay, I got my barrel and I got to kind of keep my barrel under control and understand that I need to move it really controlled and slow as I'm gathering and continuing to land. So I never lose my rhythm. I never, I I can essentially transition my rhythm from the ground all the way through my bat Mm -hmm. when I hit. So I'm not going to break up that, that, that when that early setup happens when they land too early and they're just dead, that that's the worst thing. Right. Because they have no chance at that point, right? No it's it's going to be dead left turn. Yeah, no mm-hmm. shot. So those are those are a couple that we tend to use off of that to try to give them a little sense of kind of timing back where if they're a little early, a little late. It, you know, like you said, when you call out a verbal, we just try to have them pick something out mm-hmm. with with um, the the coach, whether it's their first step or. You know, it's like when the ball, depending on how big their move is, you know, do they have right, a, yeah, do they have, they, 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 yeah, they need more time to get ready to gather and get everything going. So, okay, you know, hey, when, you know, when, when I take my first step and it, and it depends on the coach too. Sure. So we have, you know, we got three or four different coaches. Uh, you know, I take, um, you know, I'm a right, left ball comes back and then get it out in front. And I try to throw it on a good line and, you know, down, mm-hmm. um, we got some guys who just do a, a quick left, right, you know, so their timing is different and helping the player understand that he's dictating my starting point. So, you know, if you have a little variation of that, so I had a, I had a college kid in the other day and it was his first round and he was kind of going narrow and he's trying to really feel kind of into his back heel and into his back hip and just control the gather, control the stride forward and be able to like hold energy without committing completely and then go. And the, the first rounds I did, I did it to him last week. He was trying, he was trying it out. And I just started really adjusting my timing and going fast and then like kind of hanging a little bit and not necessarily changing the flight of the ball as far as, you know, going softer, like, Oh, Hey, change out of the hand, but it's changing my, my movement with my feet. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you know, then they're like, okay, they got to kind of learn to adapt a little bit to, you know, the timing of what he's doing, because 
then it gives them a little feel for, okay, so you say you got a, a left-hander who's, you know, really slow and deliberate out of the windup. And then guy gets on base and every pitch is different. You know, he's got a slide step. He's got a big hang and read. You know, he's got a quick knee. You know, it's like, okay, how do I, how do I train them to adapt to pitchers trying to control the running game? You know, because it's, it's important. You know, and you, you, got, you have these guys every day. You see them in game, you know, kind of in the tendencies of other teams and pitchers. Kind of go, okay, hey, what can we do in our controlled drills to do that? You know, and the speed is, is good as far as kind of changing speeds and location, you know, getting them from short distance. We, we go from pretty short distance, and then we kind of back it up a little bit. But getting them to understand that it's not always about the result when you're trying to train decisions and timing. And, and I said this to a kid the other day, it was his last swing of the round, and it was kind of an elevated, it was an overhand short, elevated fastball. Um, so I, give, I try to give guys context of like where things are in space, right? So right. if, so the, the balls are two and a half inches right around. So we go one through seven across the plate uh, horizontally. So I used to do one through six, but then there was no center point. And when you're throwing to a guy and when I'm throwing BP and I'm not sure how, you know, how you are with it, but I'm watching the hitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm okay. watching the hitter. And then I try to switch to watch the contact point. Um, so I want to see when things are happening, his movements. Um, and it's hard, but with one through six across, there wasn't a center point to kind of gauge where was that pitch actually. And then there's always hitters behind and they can help kind of, judge where the pitch was. Mm -hmm. So we went one through seven. If you get a little bit off each side of the corners across, and then we go one through five up and the one through five up is every five inches, starting from their knees, um, two balls from the bottom of the zone and the bottom of the knee all the way up through call it their belly button. Okay. So you, you, you pick two and two. So you, you box up a 10 by 10, right? So, okay, I'm going to go all I'm swinging at right now is, Middle, middle. I'm, I'm going center cut, M&M fastball, and I'm not swinging at anything else. And you just kind of get them to train the decision of, hey, I'm just looking for that. Um, and then you can go, okay, I'm spitting on anything that's spinning, and I'm, I'm locked into, uh, you know, call it a four across, you know, kind of a two to four across, a, a middle to play, so call, call it four, three to six across. So. Okay. Perfect. From two balls in to kind of out over the plate and elevate. So it's a ball that I can hit hard and low into right. And I can also catch that and go pull side homer if it's, you know, hanging breaking ball or if it's, you know, it's an elevated fastball. So mm -hmm. we were doing this the other day and the player, it was, it was an elevated fastball and we were locked into looking at elevated fastball out over and he, he released, he caught, caught it really out in front. He wanted to pull it foul. And he was like disappointed. I'm like, no, man, the decision was right. That's all that matters right now. We're working on a decision and your plan. Now this is important too, because your plan's got to match the decision, right? Right. If you have a plan and then you make a decision, it's like, well, they got to kind of correlate. You just kind of stick with it and, and trust that, Hey, I'm going to stay with this plan and mm -hmm. not deviate from the plan because you get a lot of hitters that they completely deviate. One pitch happens and then they're like, uh oh, 
you know, like, well, I wasn't looking for that. Now I'm looking for spin and, mm-hmm. you know, you get, you get your fastball out over and you take it in your O2. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying to train things, you know, in, in, with rhythm and timing, adding decisions in there through your control drills with, you know, any kind of toss or, or a seated overhand, I think is you're on to something. I mean, you're on to you know, giving them a really good chance for things that are going to apply in game. And, and that's, you know, that's something if you can do that and you have guys every day, that's awesome because that's what's going to matter. You know, they, how's this going to apply to their in-game timing mm-hmm. and their in-game, you know, awareness of their barrel so they can have success, whether they're you know, moving a runner or hitting a pull side homer. You know, I think, I think it all kind of matters. And, and it goes to how you're you know, trying to set up an environment to train them to get better every day. Right. No doubt. And that's something that getting them to make decisions in practice is, I mean, it's, they have to do this every single at bat and every single pitch of every single game. So I really think that that's yeah. something that it, it may be undertaught in a lot of different settings. I know that that's something that I didn't teach well the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And, and just, I mean, it, it's it's vital mm-hmm. because, and, and I really, you know, something that I want to hit on that you said, you praised the right process, even if the outcome wasn't exactly what the player wanted. And by you doing that, it it sets off something that, that is in their mind that I made the right decision. And that is huge. Like that's, that's a big deal because Mm -hmm. there are some coaches who, you know, we, we do this in practice and even we praise the outcome a lot more than we do the process. And for the player, I mean, that's what they start to gravitate towards because in the end they want to please you, they want to please me. And if we're praising the wrong things, then that's just going to set them back. And, you know, anytime we can add a decision, mm-hmm. I mean, a couple that we do that are, <laughs> that are really hard, uh, you know, just uh, two seam, four seam and getting them to differentiate mm-hmm. between the two has really helped them to focus and hone in on looking for spin because a lot of amateur guys, they, they try and they try and pick up shape. And I think a lot of them are really just guess hitters. And, uh, so Mm -hmm. that one is really tough and they have, so a a typical round would be like, okay, so today we're going to hit four seam and we're going to tape to two seam and getting them to differentiate between spin and shape and color. Mm-hmm. Uh, is really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, but just anything mm-hmm. that we can do, and especially uh, one of the ones, and sorry for taking up too much of your time, but I love this stuff. One of the ones that we've done lately is we'll, I'll throw, and I'll say I'm I'm going to throw one curveball this round, and they go from just yeah. mashing regular coach pitch BP to like having to decide whether or not the curveball is coming. So it's, the curveball's coming, yeah. And, and, then, and, then totally. some, and then sometimes I won't throw one, and it'll just mess them up the whole round, and they'll try and call me out about it. And I'm like, I, yeah. I mean, I forgot. I'm sorry. Right. I don't know what to tell you. Dude. Yeah. But. Well, yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's, it's great. And we have, this, we have the strike balls, too. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of fastball change out of the hand. Okay. How um, do you do that? Because um, as far as just – it's the same thing as the four-seam, two-seam. Okay. But, you know, short, you know, overhand seed is – the change is just easier to see, you know – for me, the change was always a pitch that I was hoping a guy would throw me a change up mm-hmm. because, you know, as a hitter, it's just one of those things. I hated spin, um, but right. a change, bring it change out of the <laughs> hand for whatever reason. Uh, I just, I, I knew it was a change. I knew it wasn't a fastball. Like that's a change. And to see it up, you know, I didn't have much power, but I hit, I hit some homework on some change ups. And so I think it's easier to kind of see just the hand change a little versus because you're talking about two seam, four seam distance wise, 
if you're short, they don't have the, the velocity of the pitch may not spin the ball enough to give them a clear differentiator mm-hmm. of, okay, is that two or four? You got almost like, and if you're going to do two, and I, I do this with, with the pro guys all the time. Um, I, I go like, uh, so Austin Hedges, the catcher, the Padres, we work out a ton in the off season mm-hmm. and our whole off season design is about decisions. He is constantly working on trying to make better decisions and be disciplined in the strike zone and have the plan match. And so in, in the NL West, you get some guys who are those left-handed kind of back knee slider. They'll run kind of front hip, you know, sinkers in, uh, you know, they'll kind of, kind of run them back in, but it's something where you have to be able to hit. And, you know, obviously there's a ton of guys in the big leagues that have that power sink. So you have to be able to hit the sinker. So I'll lengthen it out and I'll throw two seam firm and I'll try to like turn it over a little to sink to give them a little more of a clear, Hey, that's a sinker versus the elevated four spot. So almost trying to change, you know, like the, the box, you know, kind of working to like the top of the zone with a four seam. If I'm going to miss with the four seam, I'm going to miss up with it. So it's a take. So it's a no. Or if I'm going to miss with the, the two seam, I'm going to kind of not going to try not to hit them, but I'm going to, I'm going to miss in with it. So he's kind of trying to take away that chase fastball up and take away that, that hard sinker in and look for the one that starts. And one of the things that I try to do with these guys, and this is something that each guy's a little different. And you ask your hitters, I'd be curious to kind of get your feedback on this, and what their answers were. Cause I ask our guys all the time and they've got no clue. Mm-hmm. What are you looking at? When oh. you're out there looking, are you looking, are you looking at the pitcher? Are you looking at their, 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 their label, their hat? Are you looking just kind of at the whole body? Are you looking at release point? Mm-hmm. What are you looking at? And most of them are kind of like, I don't know. I've really thought about it. And I just kind of look, I'm like, well, you know, are you, like lock into something because it's amazing. If you lock in, you can see something that's a little off and you may not. And, and one, I'm actually, I always try to go back to, you know, in, before the off season starts, I always go back to try to get you know, for the pro off season, which, you know, coming up here in a month and a half for us, try to get my brain processing things that I've learned over the years and try to re re up on some stuff. So I just, um, I just started listening to, on audiobook Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, which is mm-hmm. an awesome book. Great book. Uh, not a lot of practical baseball information, but it's one of those things where the, the whole overall premise is, is trust your instinct, snap judgment of knowing that you're right, trust it, you know it. And it's just when you're looking at the whole picture and you know, the whole, the, his, through his delivery and his timing, and if he changes something, if you're out there just kind of like watching that whole thing and then kind of shift your eyes to release point or whatever. You may pick something up that's a little bit different and you don't know what it was, but you know, it isn't going to be a fastball. This is different. This is a different pitch, you know, and especially your first step bad. If you see something like, nope, that's, that's a breaking ball. Hey, what do you do different? I don't know. I don't know what he did different, but it, was, it looked different to me, you know, just trusting that right. because it's hard to tell, mm-hmm. you know, like, what'd you see? Oh, I, I saw this. Well, you know, Hey, I was never that good. I, and a lot of the guys that, you know, the big league guys that, that come through in the off season, they really can't tell me either, but having an idea of what you're looking at, you know, whether it's the whole body, you know, that the, the top of the head, you know, the, the label and then shifting mm-hmm. to like release points. So back to kind of the things that we were doing with, with hedges a little bit is he really tries to focus on release point window and wherever that window, wherever the ball comes out of really is 
a determining factor if, if the decision is going to be to stop or to continue to swing. You know, because if ultimately the decision is only the only decision you're making is to stop, then you have to train your hitters to be in swing mode. Right. You've got to be in swing mode and yes mode. And I heard this from a scout many years ago. I, I did some work with the Indians over the years as an associate and did some underclass stuff. And we, we have these, there was these scouting dinners we'd go to for Southern California. They're really cool. And they'd have, they'd have uh, really cool speakers. And one of the scouts that got, got an award one year was telling a story about a hitter and he didn't, it was his first at bat he ever saw him. And he saw him take a pitch with like intent and bam, stop. And he's like, said to himself, this guy's going to hit, this guy's going to be a hitter. And, you can learn a lot from a take. Oh, 100%. You, you, with, with the player, right? Like, you, are they in, are they committing to get in swing mode to be able to, to kind of match and then be able to say no late? And, and a lot of that goes back to their sequencing being right and, you know, knowing the when and where things are, are, are going on. And, but, you know, the window, it's like, okay, that window out of the hand is up. I'm going. You know, if your plan is, hey, I'm looking for, Anything spinning up and, and be able to hit through that slider and, and catch those bad sliders and hit full side homers with them. Yeah, hey man, that's that's important. But you know, a lot of younger hitters and even some of the pro guys, they, they kind of don't really have, you know, I think it's fine. Like like I, one of the best hitters that we have, he's in triple A with the Mariners, named Eric Falia. And this guy can just hit. I mean, he's not real physical, but he just he he can hit. He's the best. Now, I wouldn't say he's Bell or Chapman, but just as far as just pure barrel to ball skill and base hits, hitting for average, he's one of the best guys that I've been around. And I asked him, he's like, I'm just kind of looking out there. I'm just looking at him. He's not really, he's just start, start all he focuses on is when. Hey, like when, when he starts. I just, I just need to start on time. I start on time and he has this mechanism with his barrel. And I don't know if you've, seen Twitter. He kind of has that Twitter. He's got the, the Flea shimmy, they call it. Mm-hmm. You've seen that thing. It's kind of a yeah. funny video, right? Yeah. So he just does his thing. And, and you know, that's an Andy McKay. That's his 15 seconds. And he's an interesting cat, man. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a really cool, cool cat. Just a, an awesome, awesome person. Um, but he just, like, it's like him being him. That is a hundred percent genuine. That is a hundred percent him. That thing he does. But when he does it, it's to process and just clear his brain. And then when he gets in the box, he does two things. He looks at his barrel to go, hey, hey, there it is. I know where it is. He hits it, and then he kind of goes through his, his movement. But he has this, we call it the twirl. And when his twirl is late with his hands, he's in trouble. So he always kind of goes back to, okay, I got to start my twirl early to get everything going. But I asked him, what, what is he looking at? He's like, I'm just looking out there. I don't care. I don't really don't care what he's doing. I'm focused on my timing. You know what I mean? And yeah. it works for him. You know, it's, it, each guy is so unique, um, especially when you're talking about getting a high level, you know, of minor league baseball or into the big leagues. You've got to, you got to kind of be able to kind of just let them be themselves and help them kind of work through some things as they, you know, talk to you about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique position that I've, I've gotten myself into constantly trying to get better, be, be around advanced hitting guys, talk to major leaguers, talk to minor leaguers and evolve into knowing what process and what things work for them. And, and sometimes it's, it's just as simple as the verbiage. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of coaches 
they, they don't evolve and, and, and change and adapt to their player. And I say, I have a lot of different terms, a lot of different phrases, but sometimes I'll listen to a player, especially, you know, when you get to a professional guy or a higher level player and, and listen to what they say and how they process what I'm saying. Because when they say something back to you, you got to really listen to it because that's how their brain is processing what you just said right. or what you just talked about. So I'll give you a good example. Um, Nick Hunley, who Matt Chapman referred to me, he was hurt with the A's this year in a back and he had a, a meniscus thing and he came off the DL and he was still, um, the, the A's released him, but he had a couple of weeks. He wanted to get fully healthy. And so we worked out a few times and we did some workouts and we broke it down. And I, I was talking about, you know, kind of independence and uh, freedom. He, he did two things that really things I learned, like it was, it was awesome for me. Like this guy's got a thousand or so games. He's a, he's a 13 year big leaguer. Like I'm going to listen to this guy and like learn when I you know spend four hours with him, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a week. So the two things that he said that really stuck out to me, one, and the way I've always said this term, I used to say, you want your hands to have freedom and space. And when he said it back to me, he said, Oh man, I really feel my hands working with, with that freedom you're talking about in space. I'm like, man, that's, that's the way you say it. Mm-hmm. I've been saying it wrong. I go, it's in, you know, if you want it, it's not in space, it's in space, you know? And then it's funny. I was watching uh, the NFL game the other day and they were talking about this guy working in space as a middle linebacker. I'm like, yeah, in space. I'm like, man, okay. So I just, <laughs> I process, I'm trying to like sure. learn to say it better. But the other thing he said, you know, I was talking about independent hands, right? You want, you want everything to be independent. So everything's working, being connected and flowing in sequence, but they have to have their independent jobs. Okay. And I, you know, I, I, I was saying independent. And then he came back after we were talking about it for a bit and he used the term, I feel that disassociation. I'm like, disassociation. I'm like I had to look it up. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I knew what he, I knew what he meant. But for me as a, as a coach and someone that, okay, if I got to, I'm going to be, connected with this guy and try to help him in the off season. Mm-hmm. I got to understand that if we talk about independence of the hands and the body parts, my verbiage is not going to be independent. To him. It's going to be disassociation okay. because that's how he processes. And you know, each guy's so unique on, on that stuff and you got to kind of really listen to your hitters, you know, listen to, you know, because Hey man, they're, they're pretty advanced. And you're talking about, you know, minor league guys and big league guys. And the more I listen, the more I take notes. I take notes on every session with, with uh, hitters, mm-hmm. uh, with the professional hitters. And I always go back at the, at the end of the off season and kind of, you know, we have like a drop box for all the guys and then I have like their, their thing in notes. And it's like, what are the things that keep coming up? What are the, you know, what are the five or six phrases? What are the, the keys that when we, we talk during the year, you know, here, here are the five or six things. So like, um, i give you one with, with Josh Bell. Josh is more advanced left-handed. I mean, he's, he's a little better hitter left-handed than he is right-handed. Uh, and we spent a good amount of time this off season on the right-handed side, but you know, it's like, he's going to take 70, 80% of his at-bats left-handed. So mm-hmm. obviously you're going to spend more time on left, but from the right side, the things that kept coming up as far as our terminology, our verbiage, our drills and stuff were into and under. And that's a, that's a phrase I use a lot. There's a lot of layers to into and under. 
but the the base the basic premise of it is understanding gathering of the energy when you're working back into if you're going to get a little shift into your backside without shifting a ton and getting you know breaking the plane of you know like so think about like posture wise you always want to have a maintain a good posture with you know your head and your chest and, and really on your backside mm-hmm. so you're not going to ever shift past your backside like out you know, too much over you know what i mean you want to kind of keep it but there's a little bit of a shift a little bit of a pendulum working kind of into it where you can kind of get stacked you can feel it um you know whether some guys are into their heels some guys like it into their back hip some guys focus more on into their scap it, you know it just varies but it's kind of into and under was the term that we always kind of were going back to because he was very he was a, he was an internal rotator his shoulders would go east and west and he would go towards the plate with his left shoulder from the right side okay. instead of working slightly down and then allowing the, the sequencing and the body. He's a, he's a physical dude. I mean, you, you get up next to him, you don't realize how big he is and then how skilled he is with the barrel. And it's like, man, this guy's got some barrel to ball skill. He's not just a strong dude. You know, he can hit, um, but right handed, he wasn't putting himself in a very good position to allow his barrel to ball skill work. So the into and under of getting him a little bit kind of working down and then getting his non-dominant, which is his left hand, working a little more, kind of turning a little more. We did a lot of fetch stick work with him, those chuck it sticks Mm -hmm. from the right side, just trying to get his left hand a little more dexterity, actually from both sides. We did a lot from the left too. He loved it. He was, because he knows that was one of the things he spent a ton of time this off season with was working on mobility flexibility through his left ankle, through his hips, everything on the left side because he's super right-hand dominant. But you're talking about a guy who came in the offseason on a mission to make changes, and he committed to the changes, and he identified some things that he needed to get better at. One was his understanding of the left side of his body, and on the hitting part of it, it was his, you know, his left hand, left elbow to fingertip. So focusing on getting that you know, that position where he worked that shoulder kind of down and establish an access where his left hand can kind of turn and ride a little more so he can hide the barrel and have better control of it and then release. And the focus was kind of a high finish. So when we went back in the you know communication during the year with him, if we talk about right side, it's, it's always into and under, let's get that high finish from the right side. Because when he finishes high, that, what that tells me is that his sequencing is right and his body was clearing and creating freedom in space for his hands to work. You know what I mean? And then kind of releasing out in front and kind of finishing up. When he was finished across right-handed, I could tell he was internally rotating and his top hand was taking over and just getting the barrel getting outside of his hands and he was losing his blade and getting across. So it was, it's just something that, we would, you know, hey, that's a term for him on the right side that I know now helps him sink back up and, and you know, make an adjustment. So, you know, it's, each guy's so unique, and, and I try to really spend a lot of time one-on-one, especially with the major league guys, to kind of get to know what works. And, each, you know, it's so, it's so unique. Like uh, Chapman, Chapman is a – it's Monday night, man. Monday night's for, for Matt, like, Monday nights, he wants to hit from 7 to 9 p.m. on Monday nights. At UC, at, we hit up at UC Irvine. He lives in Newport Beach in offseason. And Chappie is easy. He's a, he's a killer. I mean, this guy is intense and locked in. 
and we'll go in there and it'll be me and him. And there's times we're in there three hours and it's just, I love it. I mean, it's like my favorite, you know, we, we get all the high school kids out of there and it's like, let's go buddy. Let's, let's get, let's set our week up with our first night of work. And this last off season, he was hurt. We, we didn't do anything except some video breakdown, went to dinner a few times. We, we didn't, we didn't get hit. And I just luck of the draw that I, I found a few guys that are really skilled and really determined to be great. And they just like me. They like me enough to kind of keep me around. And I don't know if I'm, you know, I think a lot of it is just the communication, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to talk to them and make them feel comfortable. And, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, you connect with the guy and you, you try to, you know, help them along the way. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they're just, they already know the answer. You just got to help them get back and, and trust that, Hey, you know, the answer to this, we just need to get you, get you that baseline and, and, and work from there. So, you know, it's, uh, I love my, I love my job. I mean, obviously I love, okay. I love the opportunities I've, I've gotten, uh, you know, be able to work with some of these guys, but it's also we're in Southern Cal and we get a lot of good hitters to come through. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, leg- ge- geographically it works. So it's no, fun. No doubt. No doubt. There's a couple of things that I wanted to hit on before we let you go. And the first one, I, I mean, one of the things that I was reading an article about in the athletic about you and Josh Bell and and uh, Rick Eckstein actually started to use some of your drills and Rick's a great great guy. I got to meet him at uh, a couple of coaches clinics, shake his hand and and uh, I think it was the first time was at 108 performance at Bridge the Gap, but a uh, great guy and and it mentioned in the article that you guys shared some drills and I'd I'd love to know what you guys shared if you don't mind. Yeah, well, it was it was really a cool experience for me. Um, you know, Rick contacted me, uh, just just said, "Hey, just ahead, um, I'm going to be out there. I'm you know kind of making the rounds, visiting with all the uh, you know the Pirates hitters, um, and uh, you know, do you, do you care if we come in and uh, we can talk for a bit and we can talk about Josh and then uh, we can kind of work." I'm like, "Yeah, this would be awesome." So um, we met at the facility. We broke down some things. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, kind of things that we're working on from each side of the plate. Um, and then just, and, and we, we, we clicked pretty good. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of the similar uh, principles, a lot of the same uh, things that we're doing. So, and then, you know, JB showed up and we wound up having a, I kind of took everybody off the calendar in the afternoon and we wound up being in there for two and a half, three hours. And I was kind of just, I kind of sat back and let kind of Rick go. And kind of just break it down. And he, you know, I'm, I was running the session, but I was just letting him kind of interject. And I was listening, you know, this is the guy that, that JB is going to have to connect with during the year. And, and then we started just talking about different drills and things we were doing. So one of the things that, you know, he, he gave me some insight on things that he wanted to do that I loved and we applied. And then I think vice versa. So some of the things that we were doing on that, that Josh and I were doing that I think Rick liked, he was into so one of the first ones was the um, the, the uh, hitting jacket, the heavy, you know, the thing that slides up onto your your kind of midway point of your bat. I don't know if you yeah, I've seen those. We actually uh, they're use nine those for yeah, you're right. Overload. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like, but you know, really helps players understand when they turn. And, and, and Josh is a guy. I don't know if you've watched Josh much, but he's got a lot of barrel movement, and it's like sometimes he gets going too fast, and he kind of changes the the movement a little he can his dance gets a little bit he'll do different moves but he was losing his barrel a little bit from the left side and so putting that thing on there kind of gave him a really good feel for turning and 
when it when it got slotted, his and his non-dominant would have to kind of control that barrel a little more with 16 ounces extra on his back. It would really help him control his barrel. And and, and the term I use is you you ride and hide. So you're going to ride your hands forward. You know, so for coaches out there that that use the term "stay back," you know, I'm never I've I've never said that. Well, I probably said it back in the day, but I'll never say it because it's just it's just not true, right? I mean, it's it's something where you're not staying back; you are staying centered, right. and you are riding and hiding your barrel. So you're keeping your barrel hidden. Because staying back for me means stopped. You know, it's like oh, he kept his hands back. No, he didn't. He kept his hands riding forward. And his barrel was hidden. It's what Jeter made a living doing for 15 years in the big leagues, right? So it's something where you go, okay, I'm going to turn and ride. So adding that 16 ounces on there really gives him a feel for his barrel. And he had to like kind of control it and be efficient close to his body and having, you know, a tight turn and then be able to kind of release. So that was something that he's JB still uses in BP on field. I think, I think uh, Rick was a fan of that. And then, we're doing from the left side, uh, we call it the karate knee drill. Uh, this is a kind of a modified version of a drill that uh, I got from Doug Latta um, years ago. So, and, and we do it two different ways. So there's the full karate knee, which is kind of a really exaggeration of engaging the Ferris wheel approach with your shoulders and even your lower half. So you're going to kind of work down into a position. And then as you attack back, you're going to let your back shoulder really work underneath your front shoulder and your front knee is your back knee, excuse me, is going to attack back up. And like, you're almost doing like a kind of a UFC knee move, right? I don't think even kids know what karate is anymore. It's more <laughs> UFC. Sure. So they're doing, you know, they're doing that knee move of everything's kind of working underneath each other. So that into an under approach and from the left side, that was something that Josh really gravitated towards and he liked doing it because it helped him stay, keep all the energy back through the middle of the field and attack that way. And I think with, you know, just being around, you know, Doug over the years, that was something with him. It's, it's keeping all that energy going forward and attacking back through, you know, where the source is coming from. Uh, so those are two of the things that I think that, uh, you know, he likes just kind of talking to him. And then a couple of things that I love that Rick, you know, introduced me to was just keeping things chaotic during the decision part of it. So we were having him, you know, a lot of times we would go, we would just kind of do a session all left-handed and then we'd take a little break and then we'd go all right-handed. And Rick was like, Hey man, let's go back and forth, jump back and forth with it. Like do your drills, do, do around left, go right. And then as it progressed through, we were doing decision things, short distance, firm BP. And he'd take one swing left-handed, he'd go to the right side and creating kind of chaos in game, short distance, spinning the ball, doing different stuff. And a lot of it was just kind of helped me apply things that I do with some other guys into Josh's routine. And I, I love it. I love what Rick was saying. And it was, it was really, it was a really cool experience to have a big league hitting coach come in and really be okay with having, you know, one of his best hitters, you know, could, you know, have an off season consultant, have a guy he's working with. And, um, you know, we connected pretty well. And then, you know, he communicated with me after a few times, just checking in. And it was cool, man. I was like, this guy's a pro. Like he, you know, he wants, he wants the best for his hitters and he wants, you know, he wants to help the team win. And it's like, it was a really cool experience. You know, I know Josh and him went out to, they went out to dinner that night. 
you know, they had, um, they went and grabbed tacos and were breaking it down and it was cool. And I was like, man, this is a, this is cool. Cause I've never really until this year when I got some notoriety with Josh and, and Josh was the guy that, that did it. I didn't, you know, the athletic called me and they're like, Hey, you know, I talked to Josh and you know, USA today. I'm like, what is going on here? They're doing these interviews. This is crazy. Sure. Yeah. You know, like, cause I've always been such a behind the scenes guy and I'm fine with that. I love it that way. I don't I mean, my, me, the joy for me is watching these guys have success, the relationship. I don't need to know. No one needs to know who I am. I don't care about that. You know what I mean? I want these guys to, to have success. And if I can help them any way they can to get to their highest level, that makes me, you know, it makes me feel really good about my job. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, but, you know, it was cool to have be accepted by a major league hitting coach as like, Hey, this guy, this guy knows his stuff. And Yeah. So go for it. Keep doing what you're doing. And then he followed up a little bit. He's like, Hey, how's it going? And, um, you know, it's cool. I was like, man, this is, this is a cool thing, you know, to, uh, you know, have a guy, you know, really believe that what I was doing was, you know, was, was good stuff and it was going to help, you know, um, JB and, and help uh, ultimately help the pirates have success. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it was fun. No doubt. No doubt. I love that. And thank you for sharing. I know that that there are times that there are things that you want to keep to yourself and share, but you've been just an open book today. And, and man, it's, I'm sitting over here feverishly taking notes and <laughs> trying to write down as much as I can without being a distraction. And, and man, it's, it's been a really, really good session. But the last thing that I wanted to ask you uh, that you talked in the article about giving your hitters homework. And that's something that, especially this off season, we have them for an hour a day, which is, you know, by all, a lot of accords, a lot of time in the, in the team setting, in a high school setting, and I know there that there yeah. are colleges who would love to have that, but it's it's not enough time for me to make meaningful changes if they're not going out and working on their own. So I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts on what you guys do for your hitters' homework. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know obviously it goes back to you know taking notes during the session uh, for you know we do with the pro guys and, and during the the high school sessions. Well, uh, ideally we have them when we leave each night. Uh, pick two or three things. And those are the two or three things, whether it's a, a specific drill or a specific term or verb, uh, you know, verbiage that we're um, working on that day to, you know, we encourage them to have a journal, have a notebook. Uh, and most of the kids probably don't, but then we can kind of, when we see them the next week, like, Hey, you know, what'd you work on next last week? What, what were some of your keys? What were your takeaways for the day? So with high school guys, it's a little simpler with the pro guys. I send them my notes from the day and we kind of, you know, talk about it. And then going into the next session, that's the first thing we do. We'll, um, you know, sometimes we'll watch some video. Sometimes we'll just kind of break down, Hey, here's some things. Here's kind of the agenda for today. Uh, and just giving them, you know, some things to process and, and, and understanding what works for them. And I'm, I'm leaning on the professional hitter to come back and give me feedback about, yeah, I like that. I like that term. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's stick with that. Um, you know, Hey, I, you know, the things that they say back to me are the things that I'm going to kind of continue to mention and bring up and, and gravitate towards, uh, as we progress through the off season. And, mm-hmm. and especially with Josh, it was such a unique situation where we started October 10th. I mean, it was, we, he, he was, I'm telling you, man, this guy's on a mission and it doesn't surprise me one bit that he's doing what he's doing this year. And we went four days a week for the first, you know, for the first 
six weeks. Awesome. It was like, we're going. And then, you know, then we started, there were some other players adding. He actually connected pretty well with Tyler Wade, who is back up in the big leagues with the Yankees again. He was, uh, he's kind of been up and down the last few years. He's a first year, first year I worked with him as well. And they hit it off pretty well. So they would go in, I'd go down to San Diego on Mondays and um, they would go in together and hit on Mondays by themselves. And it was like, sweet, man. I love it. I love that. You got two advanced guys making, making changes and going. Um, and then I would ask them on Tuesdays when we would hit, like, what'd you guys work on? What are some of the things you did? And then try to get them to, I want to know what they're doing when I'm not around, you know, because it's kind of like, okay, Hey, what do you, what are you doing when, when you're not watching? You have once a week during the off season, it's like, what are they doing on their own? And, you know, trying to help them map out a little bit of a game plan with certain things and triggers, uh, you know, Hey, here's a couple drills. Here's the, um, you know, here's the prescription, if you will, to, hey, to kind of get you a little more consistent with this. Why don't you do, you know, a couple sets of, of step back. Let's do some short bat, low T work for you to maintain posture and to, you know, have better barrel awareness. Uh, we can do a set of Longoria's uh, to, you know, just kind of help them, help them kind of understand what's working for them and then what can kind of really help them take them to the next level in the off seasons, uh, you know, when they're working on their own for at the high school level, because you get a high school kid, they're going to go in there and they're just going to, they're just going to hit the hit, right. You know, they're not going to have necessarily a plan, but if you could help through the process of what you're doing during your work and just helping go, Hey, here's a, here's a couple of good things to kind of stick with when you, when you come in on Wednesday to, to hit, you know, and obviously encourage them to, you know, do those things. But I think it's the homework will be specific to each player. You know, but I think a lot of it is just kind of different drills, you know, different, you know, different triggers and things as far as verbiage that can kind of help them kind of understand, you know, the, the, the principle and, you know, the different things that they're working on that day. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely not enough of it, you know, that's for sure. And, you know, as far as, you know, but the guys who want to be, you know, get to a high level, get to a division one level or potentially a, be a pro out of high school they're, they're going to run with it. You know, they're going to do it. So you can, you can kind of see them, see them really blossom and, and, and get pretty good pretty fast. If you're only working with them in a limited capacity, that's kind of how we're set up for high school kids right now is we get them once a week. We get them once a week for an hour. You know, some guys come in more, but not many because they have pretty advanced high school, pretty, you know, a lot of high school stuff is year round out here. So, you know, we try to do the same thing with them. So, you know, to encourage them to, you're going to get, you're, this is great to come once a week and get our work in, but where you're going to really get, get great is, is take this information and apply it to your everyday work. You know, uh, it's a quote I saw the other day is Michael Phelps quote is like, what, you know, what are you doing in the dark? Mm-hmm. What do you do in the dark? And it was like, yeah, man, that's when no one's watching, what are you doing? And, and those, are the, those are the athletes that are going to advance through and, and get to the top of their game, whatever their, you know, athletic abilities are, you know, the guys that you're, you're going to probably win with, you know, at the high school level for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Joe, I mean, I, I would love to go further with you, but I think we're running out of a little bit of time. And if, our, <laughs> yeah, if, if our listeners would love to get in touch with you and, and either break it down with you or just ask some questions just about what we talked about today or, just some di- different things that you may have mentioned, you know, what would be, what would be the best way online that they could do that? Uh, yeah. Um, 
probably the best way to, to track us down um, would be, you know, through our website, uh, elitebaseball.net, you know, has kind of our a background, has some of our the staff stuff, but you know, as far as directly, uh, an email is probably the best thing, uh, would be info at elitebaseball.net. And, you know, they'll come right to our, um, our general mailbox and uh, we can communicate and, and do stuff. It's, you know, our business has been referrals, 100%, really. I mean, we'll get some guys that'll email in, but, uh, you know, players, um, it's, it's the players who get the players. And, uh, you know, obviously, we, we'd love to be able to talk to people and, and break down hitting and, and uh, you know, have guys come in and try our stuff. And, um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's good stuff. I definitely um, really enjoyed my time today. I know I, I know I mentioned it to you before we got going that I, I tend to just talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my wife has given me, she was giving me guff about it. She's like, Oh, you'll be fine. You're a talker. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, you did awesome. hopefully I, I, yeah, well, thanks man. It's my, it's my first one, my first podcast. Perfect. So there you go. Uh, first of many. Yeah. Really. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, it becomes, uh, something, but I really, I really enjoyed it. I think, uh, definitely let's, let's stay in touch on this stuff and we can break it down anytime you want off air. Uh, I love it. This is my, this is, this pumps me up. Like I'm pumped up for my Saturday now no doubt, uh, to, no to go have a good, good day after, uh, spending a few hours, just, just talking shop, you know, it's awesome. No doubt. That's, that's something that I look forward to every week and you've made my week a little bit better or a lot a bit better really. Cause now I've got an entire note page to go through and break down and see how we can use it. But if, uh, I'm just going to open up the mic for you. And is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I think the, the biggest thing from the hitting side, you got to remember that hitting is hard and focus on the positives, focus on the process with them. Um, you know, encourage them to, you know, to, to stay positive and in their work too. I think one of the biggest things that you'll see with younger hitters is they always, they always dwell on the negative. They'll take a great round of, you know, seven swings are really good square on time. And then that last swing they don't like, and they have a, you know, they, they're all huffing and puffing about it. And well, why don't you give me that same positive on the seven you love, you know, know, know that it, it's challenging to, to be a good hitter, you know, be patient with them. You know, stay positive with them. Be present. Uh, the present, being present, and you know, making sure they're breathing during their, uh, you know, doing during their work, during their games. Um, I think will help. And you know, keep keep doing good work out there. I mean, this is really enjoyable for me to share and um, you know, do some things that that guys over the years have shared with me. Uh, you know, we mentioned Doug Latta and uh, Craig Wallenbrock and Craig Hyatt and I have have gotten to know each other a little bit. And you know, to make to make the baseball community and and hitters better at all levels, but, uh, you know, you keep doing what you're doing and, and, uh, you know, sharing information and putting together, uh, you know, really good stuff. So I, I appreciate the work you're doing and, uh, you, uh, you have a, you have a fan and a, and a friend moving forward. So I appreciate all the, um, all the time and, and what you're doing, Jonathan, for sure. Thank you for listening to ahead of the curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.